0: Just, just great. Where, where, where are y'all? No, they've already they've already been here the first service, so keep that in mind. They've already done almost double time. It, it has been an amazing week. Uh, if if you took part, we really had a wonderful Bible study actually on Ju, Judas on Wednesday night, where many of you wound up teaching me. And then Thursday night we had the Monday Thursday services in homes, which our experience was wonderful. And I'm hearing nothing but wonderful. About that, and then, uh, gosh, Friday night. I just—I had never been to an evening Monday Thursday service, and it was just powerful. I thought. And for those of you who were there, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Saturday was not even what I referred to as Silent Saturday. If you were here Saturday morning, I'm amazed at the flower arrangements here. They're just beautiful, anyway. But again, to be able to weave in and around a whole bunch of kids, we had two different. Easter egg hunts going on that were just great and and a lot of kids running around uh, sprinkling sprinkles on cookies and finding uh, hidden eggs and the like. And it was just great. And there was a whole lot of running yesterday morning. It was great. It was a whole lot of running, a whole lot of sprinting to find the eggs or get the cookies or whatever it was. It was just fantastic, which leads me to this question. I wonder how you got here today. Uh, Chances are uh, you got here by... Car, but I mean, when you got out of the car or the bus, as you made your way to this building, how did you get here? Uh, Did you walk? Did you by chance run? Uh, I saw a few kids, but other than that, I didn't see any adults sprinting up to uh, the sanctuary or any other part of the building. But that's what's strange about this passage that Randy is about to read. There is not a lot of running in the gospel records, but this little passage, this brief passage has a whole lot of running in it. It's a sweaty passage. It's a breathless passage, and you will see not only that, but the people are running in and around and away from a cemetery. Now, now most times when I visit a cemetery, I usually tread lightly and reverently and seriously. Uh, On occasion with my brother-in-law down in Montrose, we will jog through a cemetery well walk a lot we'll jog on occasion when people are watching and uh, we will go through there but never sprint and these people are in a flat-out sprint in and around a cemetery Now you have four characters in the passage that randy is about to read four characters the most important one being jesus who isn't actually there well he's not there at least in earthly form but i want us to look at the other three Because they are the runners in this passage. And they are running for different reasons. Randy?
1: Scripture passage is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 768. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying there in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Lots of running going on. And chances are, you are like one of these folks this morning. Uh, Perhaps you could relate with each one of them at different times in your life, in different stages of your spiritual growth. And they are all running because of the reality of Easter, but they are all running, each of them, for different reasons. Each of them is responding to Easter in a different way. One runs from Easter... One runs towards Easter, and finally, one runs to Easter. Let's see which one speaks to you with where you are right now. First of all, Mary, running from Easter. Now, keep in mind that Mary did not go to the cemetery to witness and experience Easter. She had no concept of that, had no understanding of the resurrection. She was going to the tomb to mourn, to grieve, to lament, she had no idea about this Easter thing. You should think about it. She had been at the cross, at the foot of the cross, watching him hanging there, gasping for air, bleeding, and yes, dying. She saw that. She's coming to awake in her mind. And she does grieve, but she does not grieve in the way that she had expected to. She finds the stone rolled away, and the body is gone. She can't find him. So she runs, runs from the tomb, runs away from the tomb, runs away from Easter. And at some point during the confusion, she must have realized, I know what happened. Somebody took the body. And so she sprints to the disciples, Peter and John and the others, and she says, what? They have taken the Lord away, and we do not know, speaking on behalf of the other women there, and we do not know where to find him. I wonder if that's you this morning. Someone or something has taken away your hope, your faith, your confidence in the Lord. And you don't know where to find Him. And because of that, like Mary, you are running more from Easter than to it or towards it. It's it's, it's something that this morning, for whatever reason, it is difficult for you to grasp, to embrace, maybe even to believe. And maybe you're not sure where you are at all life can do that to us life works us over life knocks us around and we encounter crisis or or failure or disappointment or betrayal or relational breakdown whatever it might be and we wind up deeply wounded and it's hard to embrace this hope of Easter something has taken away the Lord and you do not know where to find him just like Mary is that where you are this morning I could offer you a treatise on the historicity of the resurrection with real rational arguments and do that. I've done that before. You know, what is the historical evidence? Because that is very convincing. I'm still convinced that it's much more difficult to disprove the resurrection than to prove it. But you know what? I could give you apologetical arguments till we are both blue in the face. But when life has knocked you around a bit, that stuff doesn't always help. It reminds us of something important. We have to journey through Good Friday and Silent Saturday in order to get to Easter. That's how we get there. And it is when we go through those difficult times, those crises, those disappointments, that Easter really does show up. And like Mary, eventually we turn back toward it. Have a wonderful day former student, just graduated last December, named Lauren Bond. In fact, it was really cool. Lauren showed up at the first... Lauren, are you still here? She didn't want a double-dose, I so don't blame her. But she showed up, which was really cool. And she graduated last December, and I had her in preaching class her final semester at Sanford, and she preached a fantastic sermon. But you've got to understand, in my preaching class, and some of you know this all too well who are in here, I impose a text on you. I don't let you pick what passage you want to preach on. I will tell you what you're preaching on. We were preaching on passages that semester from the Gospel of Luke, and Lauren was assigned the very final text, which was the account of the women going to the resurrection, going to the empty tomb. And she seemed a little weirded out when, when I assigned that to her, and she came up afterwards to me and said, Dr. Barnett, you need to know this is a very personal thing with me. This is going to be a very personal message, and I thought, wow, what does she mean by that? But I came to eventually understand when I read her sermon manuscript and then Heard her preach that fantastic message. Because a little over a year before, Lauren had traveled to Jordan, the country of Jordan, to study Arabic. And during her time there in Amman, she decided, you know what, I'm so close to Israel and the holy city, I want to go down to Jerusalem. And sure enough, she and some friends traveled down that way. But unlike her friends, after they got checked in the hotel that evening, she determined the next morning, I am going to go at sunrise and sit at the traditional tomb of jesus and indeed she did just that next morning quietly made her way to the tomb there were just a handful of other people sitting there reverently silently she pulled out her own bible read the resurrection account and sat there but you got to understand that the days leading up to this she kept saying that she had built up this moment in her mind when she would get to this traditional tomb of jesus and she thought that in some way her faith would be as she said completed She would have some type of a mountaintop, cataclysmic, pyrotechnic pyrotechnic event where where all things would kind of come together because here she is that morning at the the tomb. And she sat there, and she said it was very meaningful, but it didn't have that completing effect that she had been hoping for. Sometimes we can have disappointments with expectations that we thought were going to be more, but here she is sitting at the traditional tomb in Jerusalem, and it really doesn't seem to happen that way. But she went on with her message, and she, she said that the resurrection became real to her nine months later. In fact, it's, it's a year ago this coming week. You see, later on, she took a trip to Haiti and worked at a Haitian orphanage. In fact, that's what Lauren does now. She works with Foster Page and, and Amy Floyd, who go here. Uh, she works at Lifeline Adoption Agency. Well, she worked at an orphanage there in Haiti. And during the first few days she was there, she was introduced to little Ella Grace, a little infant who had no mother, had no home, had no family, and had health problems as well. But she took to Ella Grace and bonded with that young lady and really became her mother and just, just held her constantly and cooed to her and sang to her and, and fed her a bottle and just on and on and on, just like a mother would. But there was one Sunday morning and they had just started a worship service there at the orphanage and Ella seemed to be unusually cold and she asked a doctor there to come and, and check her and he placed his hand on her and immediately they were taken to an emergency room and And Lauren was kept out of the operating room but then as any protective mother would, she, she went on a tear and, and got through obstacles and people and found her way back to the operating room there where unfortunately... Unfortunately, Ella Grace had breathed her last some time before. And she said that she cried and wailed and agonized as any mother would when they lose a child. And she said in the days following, she even struggled with a sense of abandonment from God and, and real struggle and real crisis. That she even, in a sense, echoed Jesus' words on the cross, Ele, Ele, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a way, she was running from Easter at that point. And yet, strangely, the day that they buried Ella Grace, things started to come around. In fact, things began to be completed. And she said that she sensed herself running to the tomb of Jesus herself. And as she watched Ella Grace being buried, she realized that really for Ella Grace, her tomb was now empty, and that one day her own tomb would be empty, and there would be this incredibly glad reunion one day. And toward the close of her sermon, she said this, I did not have to see the traditional tomb of Jesus to believe in the truthfulness of Christ rising from the grave. I had to see death and experience death before I could know what it meant to live, what it meant to understand the faithfulness of The resurrection. We have to journey through Good Friday and Silent Saturday before we can get to Easter. Mary was running from Easter. Maybe you are too today, for whatever reason. Maybe something has knocked you around and knocked you down. And you, in a sense, echo her words at first, someone, something has taken my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. Something's taken your hope away. Something is, is making you doubt. Something is making you agonize. But be sure to read on in that passage in John because later on Mary sees some mysterious stranger. And he asks her, why are you crying? And she repeats the words, they have taken my Lord and I do not know where they have put him. <laughs> and then... He speaks her name in a familiar way, Mary. Maybe, like Mary, you're going through a difficult time of grief or or struggle or doubt or disappointment or confusion, and it is causing you to run from Easter and not to it. I would invite you just to consider, invite you just to consider that just maybe this very trial that you're facing is going to be the event that leads you back to Easter. Take you in the other direction. And maybe Jesus is speaking your name in a very familiar way. Inviting you to discover the reality of the resurrection. Peter, running towards Easter towards it anyway, Mary takes the news of the missing body to Peter and the other disciples, including John. And just as Mary ran away from the tomb, Peter and John run in the tomb's direction, and it must have been like a foot race. And John gets there first and peers in and sees the linen strips of the burial garment, but he does not go in. Peter busts through and goes into the tomb, and he doesn't just see the linen strips, he sees the burial cloth that was for Jesus' head that was, I always loved this, neatly folded and sitting there. Now we'll see in a few minutes that all John had to do was look, at, look inside and see and realize that somehow Jesus beat death. He doesn't have a full comprehension of the resurrection, but he knows that Jesus beat death. Peter, though, isn't quite there. He's still puzzled. He's still not sure what to think. He finds it difficult to comprehend, difficult to embrace. And I wonder if that's where you are today. Not running to Easter, but, but, but towards it anyway. Not running to the empty tomb, but, but, but at least towards it. You've heard the message of the gospel and the resurrection probably multiple times, but it's just a little bit too hard for it to sink in. And it may be difficult for you to embrace it on one of two levels. One could be a head level. One could be on a rational level. Sometimes it's difficult for some people to embrace this concept that Jesus really did rise from the grave. And we can offer up rational arguments and historical evidences for the historical evidence for the resurrection. I'm still convinced it's more difficult to disprove the reality of the resurrection than to prove it. That was really all about last year's Easter message. You can download it if you want to. I mean, there are many places you can start, and I'm not going to talk about them much, but you could start with the reality of the empty tomb. The earliest polemical writings that tried to refute the resurrection itself always presuppose an empty tomb. Do you follow me? Those who tried to argue against the resurrection begin with the reality of an empty tomb. So the, empty, the tomb was empty. And then there's some who want to say well, it was some kind of a group hallucinogenic kind of event, that it was a big hallucination. But if you study counseling, you realize that hallucinations are individualized phenomena. They're like dreams. No two people can have the same hallucination. For, for, over the, for the over 500 people who claim to have seen Jesus, it was, if it was a group hallucination, that is really more miraculous than the resurrection itself. Or we could talk about how the disciples were just simply trying to save face. And so they made up this myth about Jesus rising from the dead. Or maybe it was, as some scholars say, that that Jesus was raised internally in their hearts. Not externally, not objectively, but internally in their hearts and all that. And I'm thinking, okay, and I'm going to go to my grave as a martyr in order either to save face or to have this wonderful feeling that that Jesus is raised in my heart. Well, we could talk about that. We could talk about people who could say, well, some of this became legend And myth. The problem being that it takes at least two generations for for mythical, uh, legendary material to to accrue into historical documents and thereby corrupt it. Uh, At least 50 years. Well, the, the New Testament documents can be traced to much more within that, 30 years at least. So it would be much more difficult to make that claim, especially if you compare it to the biography, the earliest biographies of Alexander the Great that are 400 years after his death, and yet they are considered historically accurate, though some legendary material did accrue. And, and uh, uh, that was fortunately taken away, siphoned away from it. But again, that just doesn't apply to the gospel account of the resurrection. We could talk more about that. We could talk more about Jesus' own predictions about his resurrection, because you can't be selective in your understanding of Jesus. Yes, he was a great teacher. He was a great prophet, a good man who died for his cause and, and a martyr. But you know what? He also claimed to be God. He <laughs> also claimed to be the Son of God. I mean, was he delusional? Was he not? You you, you could talk about the empty tomb and the theories that have tried to refute uh, the reason for the empty tomb, whether it's the conspiracy theory that people stole the body, or the wrong tomb theory that the women went to the wrong tomb, or the best one is the swoon theory that Jesus didn't die but merely fainted on the cross and then revived later. Oh, thank you for all three of those arguments. Is that all you got? Okay, let's move on. There's plenty out there that makes a strong argument on behalf of the reality of the resurrection, and we could talk about that. But I'm here to say you can, you can offer up apologetical arguments about the reality of the resurrection all you want. But, but in one sense, like I said earlier, that can be hard for us to embrace when life is sort of knocking us around. But there's a more significant way and a more significant means by which it's difficult for you and I sometimes to grasp the reality of the resurrection. And it's not up here, but it's in here. In fact, let me take it a step further. It's not just a matter of the heart, but of really experience, and I would say of action. You know, the, tough, the tough part about Christianity is not that most of us have not had some high-level, pyrotechnic, supernatural, mountaintop experience where it's just so solidified in our minds. That's part of why faith comes in. The tough part is trying to live it out <laughs> with a clear sense of yieldedness and submission to this Jesus who rose from the dead. That's what makes it difficult. If this stuff is really true... <laughs> It has radical implications for you and me. And we're going to have to radicalize our lives. Wouldn't it be easier just to keep Jesus in the tomb? Keep him nailed down, tucked away. That would be nice and clean and easier. But if this stuff is true, think about that. You know, let's just cut through it. I wonder if some of us came here this morning to pay our respects to Jesus. (laughs) Just kind of tip our hat to one you know it was a life well lived and a death died nobly and that's really all we're here to do if we were just very very honest that would be so nice because it would be nice and clean and we could keep him all shut in and everything because that that way it doesn't impact our schedules and our relationships and our friendships and our pocketbooks it doesn't change things for us you know And, and, and that's where we're running towards him but not to him are you with me on that it's being reduced to more of a cultural kind of thing, and, and we're in the deep south, so let's at least act some of this out so we can pass through this culture comfortably. But if this stuff is really true, what it demands of you, think about this, because there are some things that have to change. You know what? Let, let's just give poor old dead Jesus a, a, a decent burial, and let's, let's, let's leave, him, leave him there so that after the benediction, we can go on and get on with our lives once we leave out of here and and, and things are the same as when we first got here or maybe it's time for you and I to quit playing the game quit just paying your respects from a distance merely running towards him maybe it's time to really run to him and make your call make that dangerous act of faith and vow to run with him and beside him and for him as I asked you earlier, I'm not as concerned, really. I asked you how you got here this morning. I'm less concerned about how you got here. I'm a lot more concerned about how you leave here. And I don't want to equate myself with God, but my guess is that God would be more interested in that as well, how you're going to leave here this morning. My hope and prayer is that you will leave here sprinting to the cemetery, sprinting to this tomb, sprinting to Easter. And then there's John, not running from Easter, not running towards Easter, but yes, running to Easter. Mary ran away from it. Peter ran towards it, but never fully embraced it at that moment, but John runs to Easter. He embraces it in simple faith, just like those kids we heard during Sunday school, Christ is risen. It was great. All he had to do was look in the tomb, and he sees that it's empty, and he believes. He doesn't have a full comprehension of it, but he knows that Jesus has beaten death. And it's no coincidence, I think, that in his gospel, just a few verses later, is the account of Thomas who was not present the first time they saw Jesus in his resident state, and he said, I need empirical data. Unless I can see the nails, the nail prints in his hands, if I can see it in his feet, if I can touch his side, then I will believe, and Jesus appears. Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and my God, and y'all can help me with this. What does Jesus say? Thomas, do you believe because you see? Blessed are those, help me with that, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Quite simply, John had simple faith. Now, some people want to deride simple faith or disparage simple faith. Some see it as a naive cover-up for insecurity. Exhibit A, Deepak Chopra. Now, Deepak Chopra is a self-proclaimed New Age guru, and he takes Eastern thought and helps us uh, make a lot of money and things like that. And he kind of makes up his belief system as he goes. By the way, if I offend anybody with all this, uh, the email is ethana@brookwood.org. <laughs> at <Brookwood.org. laughs> But he never offers anything to back up his opinion. And we're going to see in just a moment. You go ahead and start setting it up, Will. This is a very brief clip, but this is from an ABC uh, special, and it was a panel talking about matters of faith and philosophy and, and, and theology. And I've showed this one other time uh, some time ago, but... You know, in in this little talk, Deepak Chopra says, you know, evil isn't real. You shouldn't call it evil. It's the stifling of creativity. Oh, thank you. So genocide, Holocaust, it's a stifling of creativity. Okay, thank you. And and it goes on. And he starts to talk about belief. I love this. He talks about faith and belief. And he goes on to say that belief is a cover-up for insecurity. As he says, true spirituality is knowledge, awareness, and experience. Woo. And if you don't recognize that and you go with belief alone, you haven't reached a higher state of consciousness that you should have. Well, thank you. And, and I want you to hear just this very brief exchange because they started opening it up for Q&A with people in the audience. And I just love this very brief exchange where a guy asks him a question and you'll see what's, what's going on. Go ahead. I want to take another question. There's a gentleman in the red shirt back there. He's had his hand up for a while. Come up
1: to the microphone. Uh, my my questions for for Deepak and and uh, the bishop. Now you stated before that all belief is a cover up for insecurity, right? Hmm. Do you believe that? Yes. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> I see. didn't think that was funny. Um, I forget who she is, but pray for her. Um, simple faith is not, do we have to keep looking at her? will, thank you. Okay. <laughs> simple faith is not grounded in naivete or insecurity. Simple faith is radical and dangerous. Jesus is alive, and to live by that is such a radical act. And maybe you're wanting to get back to that dangerous faith, but you're not sure how. And let me just say your desire to get there is your starting point. I hope, if, I hope when you leave here, if nothing else, you have a stronger desire to get to Easter, I could give you the standard uh, statement, you know, we'll, we'll pray some more, and read your Bible more, and come to church more, and have some wise counsel, and all that stuff is very, very important, don't get me wrong, but I think you can begin with having a sincere desire to get back to Easter, and it reminds me of the Merton prayer, does anybody know of Thomas Merton's prayer, that's kind of well known, he wrote it in 1956, it was, it was, he came out of a, a difficult situation, and he just didn't know where his life was going, and he penned this, this very brief uh, prayer, and, and it's out of this book called Thoughts in Solitude, and, and I just think it's a wonderful little piece. I'm going to read through it one time myself, and then I'd love for you to join me uh, the second time around. But look at it as it is up here. Thomas Merton was a wonderful Trappist monk, lived most of his life in Kentucky, an amazing, amazing man. But this was his heartfelt prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. I want us to close with reading this, and let's voice this together. And if this isn't exactly where you are, it's a place where you might well be at some point in time, and I want you to recall this prayer. Let's say it together. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, You will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. Will you run to him today? Will you run to Easter? Let's pray together in just a moment we're going to offer an invitation and if you feel led for the first time to run to easter and the living christ and you want to want to bring christ into your life for the very first time we would love for you to do that we would urge you and encourage you to come forward to make that incredible incredible decision and what better day than on easter sunday or you might simply want to in a sense rediscover easter and rededicate yourself to it and you wish to make that public we invite you to do that or you might be wanting to move your church membership or you might want to be passing through the waters of baptism and engage in that wonderful act of going down into the water coming back up dying to self and rising in newness and life with christ whatever decision it is you might want to make public we encourage you invite you to do that in just a moment but let's have a moment of prayer and i want us to pray especially for those who are among us this morning who seem to be because of whatever difficulty life has brought their way they're more running from the tomb than to it and let's not think of that at all in a judgmental way because we've all been there they are just at a point of distress or crisis or disappointment dashed dreams whatever it might be and let's pray silently for them right now and pray that you will in your heart sprint out of this place running to Easter hope and pray that that really is what is in your heart on your heart and just as we prayed just a moment ago trust that the desire to please God is indeed pleasing to him and again that will begin you back on your way to him as you walk together and press on through whatever it is you're facing Lord, be with us as we voice one more song of prayer. Be with all of us as we are needing to commit ourselves anew to you this day. Help us to find Easter in our hearts and go to it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.